This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Episode 162 of the Clay Young Show is back on Podcast225.com, iTunes, and available on the Talk 107.3 mobile app. And wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find this show. All right, a big one today. Obviously, we're going to talk in just a second about the event taking place in Perkins Row this Sunday, the fifth annual Smoke 'em If You Got 'em fundraiser. Should be great. But first up, I want to talk about today's guest on the program. John McClendon is the attorney representing former Baton Rouge police officer Blaine Salamone. That status is kind of in limbo right now as the, the appeals process is underway. In fact, as we record this open, John McClendon came in to talk with me just after a hearing this morning to set the date for the appeals, quote unquote, trial. And basically what that is, is it is Officer Salamone's opportunity to go before the Civil Service Board to determine whether or not they agree with the chief's decision to terminate him or if they overturn that decision and reinstate him to the Baton Rouge Police Department. I expect that the next several months are going to be filled with a lot of dialogue back and forward. And so on today's show, I wanted to talk with John about what's going on. And we've heard from a lot of people from all different perspectives on this thing. And I have not had the chance to sit and speak with John. And I want to talk with him about that night from his client's perspective. I want to talk with him about his client's perspective about the way this has been discussed in the media. And then I'd like to address some of the things that have been said about Officer Salamone publicly out there and give him a chance to speak to that. But also, he's got a side of this equation as well that I don't know that everyone has gotten a chance to hear. And so he'll have a chance to talk about this from Officer Salamone's perspective. Look, this is going to be something that's been widely talked about for nearly two years now. And I think one of the best ways to come to a conclusion in anything or to form an opinion is to have, and I know I use the word a lot, have the perspective of all of what's going on. And so John is not a mean person at all, but, and he's a, he's a hell of a good attorney. And, you know, he's, but he's biased in this thing, as is the way it's supposed to be because he represents Officer Salamone. But, This is a chance for him to talk long form about what went on that evening or really that morning just after midnight on July 5th, 2016. And so we'll get with him about that. And I'll also talk with him about his perspective on the way the chief handled the firing. I'll ask him, does he think that this was an inevitable outcome? And if so, what does that mean? I'm going to ask him about the recent internal affairs video that was made public, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. And most of you have seen the video showing Officer Salamone interacting with a young man that they had apprehended. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the number of police officers who have been in support steadfastly of Officer Salamone. And while some believe that what he did may have risen to the level of departmental discipline, it did not warrant a termination. 
And obviously people are on the extreme other side of that. So we're going to get into that conversation with him in just a moment. And I can't wait to do so. But first, I want to talk with you about the event taking place this Sunday at Ben 77 Bistro in Perkins Row. It is the fifth annual Smoke em If You Got Em fundraiser. This year benefiting the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. We give them 100% of the proceeds. All of the money goes to this organization that supports military veterans and first responders. Taya Kyle is going to be in attendance again this year. It starts at 5 o'clock and is presented by Mockler Beverage, an association with Geico Insurance, Insurance Procurement Services, Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution, Ben 77, Bistro and Sidebar, actually not sidebar anymore, just Ben 77 Bistro, Open Eye Safety Training and Consulting, Clay Young Enterprises, and Guarantee Media. Now check this out. The event starts at 5. It's got live music. We will have a silent auction. We will also have a dessert station this year presented by Geico, a beer station because obviously Mockler is the presenting sponsor. The grill station was a hit last year with insurance procurement services, and Brian Bennett and his team, they're ready to wow you yet again. And this year, we will have a five-tier cake commemorating the five years of Smoke Em If You Got Em. It's a $100 donation, $100 ticket purchase to get into the program. You can go to chriskylefrogfoundation.org to get your ticket right now online. Or you can just buy it at the door. There will be a live and a silent auction there. And it's going to be a great, great time. I I forgot to mention Don Juan Cigars. They have secured the Euroa again for this year's event. And by the way, it's going to have a custom Smoke'em band, a secondary band on the cigar for Smoke'em if you got them. It's going to be great. Guarantee Media has helped us get the word out about this as our media partner and an additional sponsor to the event. I'm looking forward to seeing you there this Sunday, May 20th, 5 p.m., Ben 77 Bistro in Perkins Row. It's Smoke Em If You Got Em, number five, benefiting the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. Back in a moment. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Roderick, and I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107 mobile app. You know, this time of year, most people enjoy South Louisiana weather in the evenings, being outside. And one of the only things I could ruin that is a mosquito bite. They're painful and they're not so great for your kids. John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution, can help you eliminate the problem, correct? We really can. We've, we have a couple of products. We have these handheld foggers mm-hmm. uh, that you can, Love those things. Oh, yeah, they're cool. You can put them on the patio and just hit this little remote button, and there it goes go. off for a few seconds, mm-hmm. and the wind kind of pushes it around. Yep. We also have a liquid that is a synthetic pyrethroid that you apply on the lawn, and most important application is going to be the underside of the leaves of your shrubbery. Okay, okay. And it can last up to three months between applications. Okay, so in the Baton Rouge area, we're outside a lot. How can I buy this? Well, combined see us. Our store is located at 806 O'Neill Lane. That's about a block south of Old Hammond Highway. Or give us a call with questions at 273-4788. Visit the showroom, get the information at Pest Stop. This is the Clay Young Show 
on podcast225.com. Back with John McClendon, who is the attorney for Baton Rouge Police Department Officer Blaine Salamone. And we mentioned a second ago that this has been an ongoing thing for nearly two years now. And John has been representing and to a degree speaking for Officer Salamone in the media here. John, how are you, bud? I'm doing great. Great to be here. So let's start with, um, as as we sit here today, you're just leaving a hearing this morning to set the trial date, correct? That's correct. It'll be a trial or hearing on the um, termination of Blaine. It'll be before the Civil Service Board. So okay. it's not like a judge or a jury, but the yeah. board acts as the judge or jury. And the board will be looking at the circumstances only surrounding the the cachet of information used by the, the leadership in the department to recommend that Blaine be fired. That's right. They will be confined uh, to what the, uh, I guess, charges were yeah. against Blaine by the chief. And the charges were basically... Um, uh, loss of control of temper yeah. and uh, un, uh, excessive use of force. And how long does this process last? They gave you the date of, of when this is going to be. What does that process include, and then how long does it last? So the hearing actually is going to be October 18th and 19th. It's okay. a Thursday and a Friday. Uh, they will make a decision on the spot when yeah. it's over. They'll They'll decide. So between now and then, um, we will work very hard. Actually, we've never let up. We've never stopped working. Yeah. We're going to do everything to be completely and totally prepared for the hearing. We'll have witnesses. We'll have exhibits. We'll, have, we'll be playing videos, everything. So, I mean, let's go back to that date and then work our way sure. here. That night, just after midnight on July 5th, 2016, they're called to the Triple S because of an anonymous caller who says that there was a man with a gun there who had threatened him with the gun. Right. And officers Howie Lake and Blaine Salamone get there. Howie Lake gets there first and is engaging Alton Sterling, and then Blaine gets there. And that's where the story goes. Right. So what, bef- before we go through anything, take me through, and, and as much as you can, about that night. Okay. And I'll back up just a little bit. So yeah, they, we were provided store surveillance video. And it's long. It's like 33 minutes long. And actually, you can see the incident where Alton Sterling pulls a gun out and points it at the homeless man. It's not perfect. It's off to the side. He pulls. You can't tell it's a gun, but he pulls something out and points it at this guy. Later, uh, so at that point, obviously, this, this man calls the cops. And, uh, but between the time that happens and when, um, when Blaine and Howie show up, uh, Alton Sterling sitting there, and he engages what appears to be a drug transaction. I'm not sure, but it, while he's doing that, he clearly pulls a gun out of his pocket. So for anybody out there who doesn't think he had a gun, that's just absolutely not true. It's, well, it was shown on television, yeah. uh, okay. and, and uh, in the Channel 9 coverage I was a part of it, that's one right. of the things that they did show. Right. So they, uh, they pull up, and uh, they're in separate cars, and Howie just happens to get there like two seconds before. And, and Howie walks up, and... and he says, sir, could you walk to the hood of the car? And Sterling immediately starts walking the other way. And he mumbles something like, I need to get something. And how he puts his hand on his, out in Sterling's stomach and says, stop. I need you to go this way. Then Blaine comes in. And people have commented that when Blaine got out of his car, he walked pretty quickly. And he does. I mean, the video speaks for itself. He mm-hmm. walks pretty fast. But people took that as, boy, look how aggressive he is. So he gets behind him on the other side of Howie Lake 
and and Blaine puts his right hand on the back of Mr. Sterling's top of his neck, uh, I'm sorry, bottom of his neck, top of his back, and is trying to guide him towards the uh, the hood of the car. And Sterling just kind of starts to, I call it squirm. I'm not saying he's fighting, he's not kicking or punching, but he just starts squirming. And it almost, if I've watched this video so many times, it almost becomes a dance because Blaine is then trying to move around this guy. And he's a big guy. And he's moving and he's twisting, he's turning, and, and he's, and he's uh, Blaine is moving around. And, and finally, uh, he pulls his gun out and and creates some distance. He pulls his gun out with his right hand and he takes his left hand and pushes Sterling away and creates distance. And then starts with the language. You know, put your effing hands on the car, um, and, and we've all seen it. And he does use some harsh language. We don't deny that. So the, the the biggest bone of contention for people who have an issue with it is they say that when Officer Salamone gets out of his car, and you referenced it earlier, yeah. people say he, he jumps out of his car, he's aggressive from the start, he goes up, he pulls his gun before he has had an opportunity to assess what's going on and jumps in and, you know, tells him he's trying to get him under control and pulls the gun and puts the gun uh, close to Sterling's head. Sterling's asking, what did I do? What's going on? Right. And, and then a tussle to try to get him to, uh, to be handcuffed or, or bring him under control or whatever is going on there is taking right. place. And then at, at this point, he, uh, officer Salamone says to officer Lake, tase him. Right. So let me back up. You brought okay. up a good point. The, um, let me put it this way. It's all about the hands. I've talked to so many police officers and so many expert witnesses, and it's all about your hands. Clay, if you get pulled over for a traffic ticket and you get out of the car and your hands are in your pockets for a traffic ticket, the first thing that cop's going to say to you is, get your hands out your pockets. Right. They have to be able to see the hands. Uh, and so if you watch this video, uh, Sterling's hands are all over the place. He, he, he's not letting them... Uh, control his hands or even see his hands they're going left and right and everywhere and don't forget this is not a traffic stop stop this is a call for a man in a red shirt with a gun Mm -hmm. so blaine sees this guy fits the description blaine assumes like all officers should this guy's got a gun and he's squirming like i said earlier he's dancing he's moving and he won't he won't uh let them kind of control his hands and so he does get pretty aggressive. I don't deny that. But in that situation, I think it was called for. Um, you know, so I, maybe I lost your, your, your well, question. Well, the, the, the question is the, the biggest, one of the biggest issues people have is they say that Officer Lake seems to at least be dialoguing with Alton Sterling in a way that has not become confrontational or hostile. And that when Officer Salamone gets onto the scene, that's when intensity ramps up because of how he approaches the situation. Your response to that? Well, I think it's also part of that is by design. Um, you know, you've you've heard the expression when they're when police officers are interrogating somebody, they have good cop, bad cop. And I think some of that plays out on the street. So uh, Howie is clearly he's a little bit quieter than Blaine is, but they could have reversed the roles, and it could have been that maybe. Uh, Howie could have been the more aggressive one and Blaine couldn't have, but that's just the way it played out. And I'm not, I don't want to dump on Howie Lake, but he dropped a couple of F-bombs too. You know, he's like, and that's common. I know a lot of people have trouble with that language, but that's very, very common for them to use that language. So, yeah, when you look at uh, the two cops together, was Blaine more aggressive? Absolutely. Was that by design? Probably. 
and probably was. It's like, and again, the overall message that they're trying to get to Alton Sterling is, look, man, we're not kidding around here. This isn't a joke. Put your hands on the car. Now, let me address something you brought up where he says, Alton Sterling says, hey, man, what did I do? What's the problem? Again, you've got to talk to expert witnesses. And what the experts will tell you is a lot of people do that, uh, people in Mr. Sterling's situation, it's a delay tactic. It's like, hey, wait, hold on. Uh, I don't need to put my hands in the car. Hold on, wait, sir, what did I do? Well, then they reach for their gun, and a cop gets killed. I don't know if you remember, Clay. I can't remember how long it's been, uh, but there was an officer. Her last name was Wax. Vicky Wax. Vicky this Wax. was okay. in <laughs> 2003, maybe, yeah, at a Walmart. She's arresting somebody for shoplifting. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't a, get, a camera, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it... Shoplifting is a, probably a $50 fine and yeah. go to a class and she's escorting him out and he grabs her gun and kills her. So the, the point is of that story is you just don't know what somebody's going to do. She thought, oh, I got a shoplifter. I'm going to get him out here, write him a summons and he's going to go home. So these officers, you got to get in their shoes. He's, he's got a big guy who's squirming and say, well, hold on, sir. Wait, what did I do? That's a delay tactic. That could be a delay tactic for him to reach down and grab a gun. When the police chief addressed this and talking about his decision on it was Good Friday, as a matter of fact, that right. was one heck of a week. He talked about the language. Mm-hmm. He talked about the, the, the practices, the tactics that were used went against what the training for the department is. What is your response to that? Well, and you were, you talked about the language a second ago, but what about the technique and and how how they were interacting with Alton Sterling? Let me can I go back to language sure, for just sure. a second? So uh, I've actually gotten a lot of calls uh, from across the country of police officers that say, "Hey, what can I do to help?" And uh, I've got two good stories. One of them's local. There was a um, last year there was a serial killer in East Feliciana Parish. I don't know if you remember this guy. Mm-hmm. He was driving by and randomly shooting people. Yeah. Uh, they were out cutting their grass. Yeah. Killed three or four of them. Mm-hmm. I've talked to the officer who um, arrested him, and he said, when I came up on him, he was sitting in his car, and he had a rifle. And he said, I pulled my revolver out, and I pointed at him, and said, I said, show me your hands. Like I said earlier, it's all about the hands. And the guy wouldn't show his hands. And he looked at his rifle, and this officer said, I raised my voice, and I used some foul language. Show me your effing hands, or I will kill you. And he still wouldn't do it. He said, I raised my voice again. He said, I will effing kill you. And he said the guy showed his hands. And he got out, and they arrested him. So it works. Sometimes it works. You have to do this. I had a call from a state trooper in Ohio. He sent me a video of an officer who was given a class talking about a shooting he'd been involved in. Same thing. He had a gun, two guy, a guy with two swords in his hands. He said he pointed the gun at him and said, Sir, put those swords down. The guy kept coming at him. Put those swords down. Put those effing swords down, or I will shoot you. Right. So the language, you know, nowhere in the, in the manual are you going to say, the Baton Rouge Policy and Procedure Manual, it's not going to say you should use foul language. But it also doesn't say you should never use foul language. And, you know, people might not like it, but it happens all the time. And, right, and I'll come back to that. Right, uh, but I want you to also speak to the, he, the, the chief talked about the technique or the procedures used on that evening. And it was one, part of the basis for him terminating officer salamone what's your response to the technique and by technique you mean uh pulling out his gun yes, while yes. on the hood of the car so again you've got a big guy uh you've been told he has a gun he's not letting you control his hands 
Uh, and so basically Blaine's going back to what I said earlier, trying to get his attention. You know, they've, they've cursed at him. They've tried to restrain him with their soft hands, meaning nothing. Now they're pointing a gun at him saying, okay, put your hands in a car or I will shoot you. Just like my story about the, the serial right. killer. Put your hands in a car or I'll shoot you. You hope at that point that Sterling says, okay, these guys aren't messing around. I'm putting my hands on the car. Uh, so the technique, uh, it's offensive to some, but I think it's appropriate in certain situations. You know, I think the problem here is Alton Sterling was never going to comply. He just was not going to comply for a couple of reasons, in my opinion. One, he's high on multiple drugs. Uh, and two, um, he's a convicted felon. He knows he's a convicted felon, and he's got a gun. And a lot of people have said to me, well, John, when these officers pulled up, they didn't know he was a they didn't know who he was. Right. True. But Alton Sterling knew who he was. He knew he was a convicted felon and he knew he had a gun. And I think that was part of him going, wait, hold on, guys, what's wrong? What the you know, he wanted to find a way out of this because once you're found with that gun, you're in a lot of trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. Right. So And you know, that's going back to what you said a second ago, because we found out when when the Tox report was released after the AG's findings, found mm-hmm. out some of the things that were in uh, Alton Sterling's system, but you you took something that what that has been an argument that people have said the officers didn't know what he was on, they didn't know who he was, so they didn't know that he was a convicted felon. They they would have had no way no, of knowing his record before they engaged him, True. and they engaged him in a way that escalated things. And you spoke to that just a second ago. The other side of this argument has been that these kinds of things, and this is this has been kind of a national narrative in a lot of places, that these things happen because of a predisposition some police officers have uh, against black men. And I know you've heard that a lot, and that's been right. thrown out there a lot. I want you to speak to that because people have said that that was really the issue that officers Lake and, and, and Salamone had is when they got there, they saw a big black guy who may have had a gun, and they were, they were predisposed to be aggressive and over the top with him. What's your response to that? So I'd say when they got there, they saw a big black guy who fit the description of the guy who called in and said, this guy's got a gun, he just pointed it at me. You know, um, Howie Lake's writing partner is an African-American guy. And uh, he told me, he goes, yeah, that's one of my best friends. We used to listen to rap music while we drove around, you know. So I'm sorry, but race is not a part of this. This wasn't like, hey, let's go pick on an African-American guy. In fact, um, uh, somebody made this very good point to me. Um, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Okay. If black lives did not matter to these officers, then I suspect they would have done something like this. Pull up, look around, say, well, I don't see anybody with a gun. I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving. Because it isn't a black part of town. I I believe everyone around was African American. So, you know, they could have taken the easy way out and say, I don't see anybody with a gun. I'm leaving. But because they have a job to do, they don't see color. They just see a guy in a shirt that fits a description, and they need to protect people. It doesn't matter if they're in the country club of Louisiana or in the worst part of North Baton Rouge. These guys felt like they had a job to do, and they're blind to the color. There are There is a narrative about Officer Salamone that is out there based upon this thing happening because the average person in this community and in other communities watching this have not had a chance to meet him or talk with him or know, right. quite frankly, who the hell he is. So talk about him, the person yeah. that you have known working with him. Sure. And, and since this process, something about him that people may not know. Sure. So first of all, him not talking to the press, that's obviously by design. Sure. 
uh, when you're facing criminal charges, you know, everyone in their right mind would take the fifth and not talk. Um, so Blaine is a 2006 graduate of Catholic High School here in Baton Rouge. Um, he went to Southeastern. Um, he worked construction for a while after graduating, and then he decided he wanted to go in law enforcement like his parents. Both were in law enforcement, and he's been on the force for, God, I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly how many years. He's a, actually a very quiet person. Now, I've only known Blaine since the shooting, and I will say so. I, I can't really comment on his personality before. He's always just been very quiet, very subdued. Um, that, and, again, it's hard for me to comment because I think this has really affected him emotionally. You know, I don't think it's a secret he's gone to counseling. Now, this was very hard on him and his family, not just what he went through, but, you know, the, the thought that somebody could be out to get him, you know, somebody's, you know, in fact, the shooter that came to Well, Rouge, yeah, I, yeah. I, I knew that to be true, that he tried yeah. to find right. Salamone's house. So Blaine is a very quiet person, Yeah, very quiet. Um, I will tell you this story. I've been knowing him two years now. He yelled at me one time in my really? office, and I'll tell you why he yelled at me. We were going over the facts again and again and again, and I said, okay, so you're on, the, you're on top of Mr. Sterling. He's reaching for his gun. I say he yelled at me. He raised his voice. He said, John, stop saying reaching for his gun. His hand was on the gun, and he was pulling it out of his pocket. I said, you're right, Blaine. I'm sorry. I, he wasn't reaching for his gun. His hand was on the gun, and it was coming out of his pocket. That's when I shot him. So it's the only time he's ever raised his voice with me. But other than that, he's a very quiet, kind of docile guy. You know, he just doesn't have a lot to say, you know. The recently here, and I know that these these are two separate things, but I have to talk about it because it was on the news, I right. guess, a little, maybe a little over a week ago, that in a separate IA investigation that may be going on or that is going on, that's not this, that's something else. A video was released by the department that shows Officer Salamone engaging someone after a foot chase and in the course of dealing with the guy, he's talking to one of the officers there. The guy said something, and he, he pops the guy, slaps the guy right. behind the head. That doesn't do him any favors when that gets out to the public, as you know, and people see that. And it does feed into the narrative that this guy's a hothead and that he's not under control. You know, what's your response to sure. the video and, and to the fact that this video was put out? Good. Um, so when I was first told about the video, I will, I will say, I was like, oh, no. I was like, this is going to be bad. So uh, I heard about it before it was released. Mm -hmm. So when it was released, I was watching it. And my, my first thing was, as you know, it starts off and there's a chase sure. in between alleys and through houses. And I'll be honest, I was like scared watching it. And I was thinking to myself, I'm glad I don't do that for a living. I mean, that is, it looked like a movie. Right. I kept thinking somebody's going to jump out right, and shoot right. him. And you can hear the neighbors going, there he is. Hurry up, get him, get him. They want, they want those cops there to help stop this guy. So they, they tackle him, and the, it kind of goes dark for a while, and I'm waiting for this slap that I've heard about. And, uh, and Blaine says to the other officer, is he okay? Meaning, uh, has he, have you patted him down for weapons? And the guy just says, yeah, something like that, I'm okay. And Blaine slaps him on the back of the head. Now, I will tell you, um, anybody who went to Catholic schools like I did, I've been hit harder by nuns, okay? I was like, that's it? Really? I mean, literally, I had uh, Sister Agnes in fourth grade hit me a lot harder than that. So, uh, and the brothers at Catholic High yeah. hit you much harder yeah. than that. So I was like, okay, that's it? Uh, and you're going to have this guy arrested for battery? And my understanding is they, they found the guy, because this happened two years ago. Sure. 
and I'm going to get to the timing of the release. <laughs> my, my understanding is they found the guy, and he said, I'm not interested in prosecuting it. And the chief said, well, I don't care. We're going to have him arrested. I say arrested. They issued him a summons. The timing is highly suspect. Um, they've known about this video since it happened. I mean, Blaine reported it that night to his supervisor. So, yeah, mm-hmm. popped this guy in the back of the head because he mouthed off to me a little bit. Did, Nobody, you, think, did you think it was overkill? The, the hitting on the, the head? The, the release the, of the video. I think it was vindictive. Really? I think it was. I say vindictive. I think it was... Um, you know, if you're going to appeal the termination, then um, uh, we're going to make your life miserable. We're going to go back and do this. I think it was selective. You know, I, I don't. So is the chief going to go back and watch body camera for every police officer in, in District 1 or just Blaine Salamone? Because I suspect if you do that, you're going to find a lot of F-bombs. And Blaine cursed in that video, too. Show me your effing hands. Mm-hmm. Same thing again. Show me your effing hands, you know. So are you going to go pull everybody's video or just his? Selective, vindictive. Yeah, I think it was. I think, you know what? You said it didn't help. I, I Actually, I think it did. Okay. I think most people are like, really? That's it? And they're seeing right through what the chief is well, doing. Well, and I want to ask you about that. I, I'd like to... Okay, I'm going to throw two at you at one sure. time. You're 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 a good attorney, so you're used to being able yeah. to juggle those. The, the first thing is uh, speaking more to the impact that that second video has had on what you're doing and what you are hearing. And the other thing is, and I don't know that it's a it's a big secret, is that there is a big divide in the department. There's a divide in the department over this particular incident and this being the July 16, 2016 incident among officers, that there are officers who are in support of what the chief did. And then there are officers who are aggressively in disagreement with what the chief has done. And I'm going to ask a third question after that, but I'll only throw two at you this time. Um, The first thing is, you know, like I said, that video and and, and, and the vindictiveness, talk more about that from your perspective, but also this quote unquote civil war in the department over this. Sure. And I'll tell you, so uh, I don't, I really don't know Murphy Paul that well. I think I've met him one time at the hearing. And uh, I said this on TV earlier. I thought he handled himself at that press conference very well. He did. He did a great job. He did. Because you're exactly right. Uh, he's got to keep his troops happy and let them know, hey, I've got your back. Because you don't want to be a chief and not have that. And he tried very hard in that press conference to do that. He talked about one of the first things he said, he, he said, I want to reach out to the people of Baton Rouge and tell you, Please comply with the police yeah. officer. You yeah. know, if he tells you to do something, do yeah. it. Please comply. And then if you have a trouble with that officer, report it to us and we'll take care of it. I thought that was brilliant. And to be great. honest, we saw each other in the studio right after you were on the set of, of uh, WFB, you know, when I was there and you came in right after he finished and you said I as did. much on the air. I did. I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, uh, but he also, he's got to keep the community happy. And I think he was in a tough position. I've said this before. I think he was in a very tough position. Because I will tell you, the night before at the, uh, at the termination hearing, he was, he was angry. Explain. I, I thought he was very combative. Um, I will tell you, when Blaine, when, and it was on my advice, when Blaine decided not to give a statement, he was visibly angry, in my opinion. He was like, could not believe we weren't going to give a statement. And I'd like to clarify that point. Blaine gave two statements. The, the, the night of the shooting, the next morning, he gave a statement to homicide detectives. They treated it as a homicide. He was 
he was considered a, a suspect in a homicide. So he had a right to plead the fifth and not give a statement. He gave a statement. Six weeks later, he gave a statement to Internal Affairs. So he gave two statements. Okay. Uh, can you speak to, and I don't know if you can, can you speak to what those statements were or you can't talk about that? It's pretty obvious. They asked him, walk us through what happened and why you did what you did. And he explained everything, you know, why he did what he did. Uh, and it's pretty consistent with what I've said to you today and what I've said on uh, TV for the past two years. So he just walked, they walked him through what happened. Why'd you do this? Why'd you do this? You know, and it wasn't, they weren't pitching him softballs. I mean, the IA people were, were pretty tough on him. So, um, but the chief, you know, he was, uh, I think he was uh, very upset. I think he wanted the opportunity to cross-examine Blaine. And uh, when we chose not to give a statement, I think he kind of took a shot at me in the press conference when he said, you know, he said, well, uh, Officer Lake answered all of our questions. However, Officer Salamone, on advice of his attorney, refused to answer any questions. And I don't care. I mean, it was a little cheap shot at me, but that's fine. Why, why did you advise him to not give another statement good question a he'd given two uh two i I believe that uh the decision to fire blaine was made weeks before that so you're you're ahead of me i want to work my way well let's just do it now so go go ahead to finish well and then to finish and i went into the hearing with that feeling and within the first 30 seconds i knew it was confirmed just why the chief's demeanor he was yeah, the way he talked, the way he acted, the way he addressed us, I was like, this is not going well. Yeah. I mean, I could tell in 30 seconds, this is not going to be a fair trial. Well, and, you know, before we get to what you, what you alluded to about this being in the making a long time ago, right. I did ask the second question was about the, the divide in the department over the way that this has been handled and officers who have been outspoken and saying we don't agree with Officer Salamone being terminated. What what can you say about that? Well, wait, is your question... I well, thought, I, I, the the second part is about the divide, that oh, there are officers who supported right. the chief, there's those who think that this decision was was wrong, and and I'd like you to kind of sure. speak to that. So I think, uh, and I will tell you, I've had very good friends of mine that whose opinions I respect have told me, oh, I think he, sh- I think he should be terminated. Mm-hmm. And I respect their opinion, sure. I respect their opinion. But most people tell me, and most people in the know, tell me that termination is inappropriate. It may be a suspension, but for that conduct, a termination is not appropriate. Maybe give him a three-day suspension. And, uh, you know, I guess the board's going to ultimately decide that. And uh, But I would say it's um, – no, it's not 50-50, but uh, I would say the majority of the people that I talk to uh, that are in the know have said that, you know, no, you don't get terminated for something like that. A lot of people – who some are in the know and some are not, um, are um, think you should be fired. And I, ha- I don't have time, but I've, I've kind of as much as you need come up with this analogy. Um, I like to go backpacking, and this summer, this past summer, I hiked the Appalachian Trail for about three days. I went with my brother-in-law who hiked the entire thing from wow. beginning to end. So I tell people all the time. If you showed me a picture of a guy with a backpack getting ready to go hike the Appalachian Trail, um, I'll bet you I, and really my brother-in-law better than me because he's really good, he could look at that picture and he could find 10 things wrong with that guy. Wrong shoes, wrong straps, wrong water bottles, uh, a number of things. 
Whereas a person who never does any backpacking would look at it and say, oh, cool, the guy's going backpacking. Right. Look at that. Nice backpack. They would think everything's cool. The same thing applies with this video. Unless you've been a police officer in the trenches down there, most people would look at the videos and go, oh, my God, this is horrible. Right. But somebody who's That's done it. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody who's done it, somebody who's lived it, can look at it and say, no, you're, you don't know what you're really looking at. What, this, what happened here is, is appropriate. It's, that's the way it is. It's the same thing with my backpack analogy. Most people look at it. When you say appropriate, you mean uh, appropriate based uh, upon? Based upon the police training. Okay. Uh, uh, well, basically, that's what you're trained to yeah. do. And also, not just the training, but the law. You know, the, the United States Supreme Court has said time and time again, when looking at these situations, you're not to use uh, uh, 20-20 hindsight because these officers are involved in situations. I think I've got this quote memorized. Uh, the situations are tense, uncertain, and rapidly evolving, and these officers have to make split-second decisions. And it's not fair for us to go back and look at that and say, oh, well, you should have done this. You should have done this. You should have done this. That's not the standard of law. One of the realities that was shaken out in this saga that has been playing out was the federal government's outcome. And Corey Amundsen at the time, who was the acting U.S. attorney here, spoke about it. Now, and it went to the Civil Rights Division of the FBI. Uh, And so they were looking at whether the actions taken on that night were motivated by race. Yes. And their outcome was that there was not enough evidence to charge or to, you know, pursue charges against one or both officers. But Corey Amundsen, when he released his statement after saying, hey, we didn't find anything that says these guys are guilty, kind of went on a tirade and say that what went on there was not okay. Now, that sent two different messages to the public right. because on one hand, you're having people say, well, if it's not OK, then why didn't you pursue charges? And on the other side, people are saying, well, if you didn't pursue charges, why, why, why the diatribe? Right. And your response to that is what? Is that uh, and you're right. You're absolutely right. In fact, the experts for the federal government found uh, they said in their reports, look, uh, there's no criminal wrongdoing here. There's no violation of civil rights. We think some of the things done should be addressed at a disciplinary hearing. So that that's what was said. And, and that's where we are. Exactly what Chief said at the hearing, you know, when uh, he said, well, the government's experts felt like that discipline uh, should be handed down here. So um, and he made his decision. And discipline being. Termination. Termination. And and so that's a distinction because the federal government would have been dealing with criminality and whether or not there should be criminal charges. And they're saying that this is a departmental level issue. And then the chief decided that he no longer wanted officer salimony on the department. That's right. And the experts, you know, they said it should be addressed uh, possible violations of policy and procedure. They didn't say termination. Uh, but they said it, it, it should be addressed there. The chief took that to mean, uh, in his opinion, it was worthy of termination. For a lot of people going into the decision made by Chief Paul, there was a feeling of inevitability that Officer Salamone was going to be terminated. Officer Lake, possibly, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of people who believed that this thing was, was coming down the hill and that that's what was going to happen. So going into this, and you talked about how when you went in, you were playing out the process, but on the day that the decision was made, you felt like, oh, it's a done deal. So I'd like you to explain why you felt like, hey, 
you know, this there was really no shot that this was this was a foregone conclusion. If you feel that way. So going into it, what I had read as much as I could, and I know Mayor Broom's position on it, and uh, I've never she's met, made it clear. Yeah, I've never met Mayor Broom. I hear she's a very nice lady, um, but she made it clear when she ran for mayor and that when she was mayor that she felt like uh, Blaine should be terminated. Now, to her credit, I saw the letter she wrote to Chief Dabity, and she, she said that. She goes, but the decision's yours as chief of police. You should make that decision and give him a hearing. I mean, she was very fair, I thought, in the letter. But I just got to believe, Clay. All right, so when they narrow down the candidates to five and she's interviewing them, I don't know this for sure, but don't you think they at least discussed this case during the interview? I would assume that it came I up. I would, too. Yeah. I mean, it's I a mean, high-profile thing. I, right. You know, what, whatever your feeling is— when you get the job, it is going to be in your lap. And put yourself in the shoes of the candidates. you got four or five guys that want to be the chief of police. You've done your homework. You know when you go into that interview with the mayor, you know what she wants. She wants Blaine Salome fired. What do you think your answer is going to be if it comes up? You're going to say, no, I just don't think that's what should happen? Well, then you're not going to get the job. So I'm speculating here. I don't know that that happened. I assume it did. When the decision was made, and it was when did when did y'all find y'all found out in the hearing, well, with the chief that that's that was now, going to be the next day the, at the press conference. At the press conference, you mean wait, before the press conference? Wait, wait, wait. you're talking about that he was when going to be fired. He, yes, when 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 was was Officer Salamone told he was going to be terminated? About an hour before the press conference. An hour before the press conference, and when that conversation happened, how was it told? How was it told the, to him? The, uh, the lawyer for the Baton Rouge Police Department called me okay. and told me, and I called Blaine and told him. And we, we weren't very surprised. Right. And, uh, and so since the announcement that he was going to be terminated, and, you know, he's terminated, but then he's appealing and has an opportunity right. with the Civil Service Board to possibly be reinstated. And I'll get to that in just a second. When, when the announcement was made, what was his response? I mean, he had been told he was terminated, right. but then there was a press conference. Did he have any feedback about that? Let me tell you this. Let's go to the night of the hearing. Although we did not get a decision, uh, uh, when we walked out, Blaine cried. I mean, he broke down and cried. And I almost did, too. It was tough. I mean, because it was so obvious what was going to happen. And uh, it was very emotional for him, you know. Um, but... You know, uh, he got over it. And the next day when I called and I said, well, Blaine, I got the phone call. And he's like, yeah, I already know. What the, I know what it is. You know, yeah, you're going to be terminated. So it was very emotional the night before. It was tough. I mean, he really enjoyed being a police officer. Since then? Since, since then? The, any, or in the, in the immediacy following the announcement, because Baton Rouge, I think, conducted itself you know, very well and yep. different than people expected the town to right. do. I mean, I, I think we've got better people here than we give yes. ourselves credit for having. Yeah, that was but great. But on the next day and the days after, what was his response? And, and you know, we said, uh, we talked about appealing. You know, there was actually a discussion whether or not he should appeal or not. But he said, yes, I definitely want to appeal. Does and, he uh, want to be a police officer here again? I think he would like to be a police officer here, uh, be a police officer. I think he probably understands that he, can't be a police officer here for safety i think maybe we really haven't discussed it in great detail but i think maybe his goal is to get reinstated um and then maybe resign mm -hmm. and and try and be a police officer somewhere else you know maybe something like that it's it's been out there in the community people have been saying it that 
uh, the, a lot of the faction in the department is centered around the fact that Blaine's father is, is a longstanding member of the Baton Rouge Police Department who is respected by a great number of people, but they're people who believe that there's political power there and that he's wielding it to protect his son. What is your response to that? Well, that's happened. I don't know anything about it. I don't. <laughs> I have no knowledge of that whatsoever. I think that the, the police officers who are back in Blaine, I don't think it has anything to do with Blaine's dad. I think it has to do with like, hey, I've been in that situation before, yeah. or I could be in that situation in the future, and uh, I don't want to go through what Blaine's been through. You know, if I have to defend myself or another officer or citizens, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like I'm going to get fired for doing what they trained me to do. Speak to that when you say what they trained me to do. Elaborate. So they obviously go through rigorous and intense training, uh, including shoot-don't-shoot scenarios, which, by the way, are open to the public sometimes. They'll allow private citizens shoot-don't-shoot, and they put them in all these different scenarios. So they're trained to do that. They are – if you have to shoot – and I'm talking about the shooting now. It's not so much as the conduct before the shooting on the hood of the car. But um, I think it's important for people to know. Again, I've watched this video 250 times maybe – the first time Alton Sterling's hand is on the gun and he's pulling it out, Blaine does not shoot him. Blaine doesn't even pull his gun out. What he, Blaine does and probably shouldn't have done is he reached for his hand, or Alton Sterling's hand, and tried to wrestle with him for the gun. Most experts will tell you he shouldn't have done that. He should have shot him right away. Blaine does not shoot him. From the first time when you hear, say, Blaine says, he's going in his pocket, he's got a gun, gun, six seconds go by. And during that six seconds, he reaches for Alton's hand. Uh, Sterling's hand breaks loose, and then it dives back for the gun, grabs the gun again, and the second time is when he's shooting. And I'll tell you, one of the ways you can really see it in slow motion is you have a, a – I don't want to inject race into here, but you got a white hand and a black hand. Yeah. Very easy to see. It's not like they're mingled. And you see Blaine's white hand on top of Sterling's black hand, and he's got it, and he pulls loose. Uh, Alton's hand pulls loose and gets loose and then his right shoulder dips and you can't really see his hand but he's going back to grab the gun then Blaine unholsters then he shoots him so there was quite a delay there where he he, he was justified shooting him earlier than he did and then we because we kind of went through this earlier so I don't want to circle that over yeah. again and I drill down more because one of the biggest bones of contention that people have had is in the beginning how early right. he has his gun out before he reholsters it uh, and and you know get some distance before that double leg sweep. Why was the gun out so early in this altercation? Right. So again, a lot of experts will tell you um, that, that you can pull the gun out to to get their attention to say this isn't a joke, man. Um, you know, put your hands on the hood of the car, quit dancing, quit squirming. You know, uh, at one point. Uh, Sterling's right hand goes behind his back. It goes behind his back, and that's terrifying for an officer. It's like, uh uh-oh, what's coming out now? So, again, go back to my backpacking thing. Most people see this and go, "This this is horrible. Trained experts who have hiked the Appalachian Trail will look at it and say, no, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, they might not like it. Uh, but that's what you're supposed to do. And if I could jump ahead to the next, the biggest, com- not the biggest complaint, but a complaint I heard from a lot of people is after the shooting, and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to use file. Oh, yeah, you are. Podcast. It's podcast. Uh, yeah. right, well, well that's, I meant to tell you that earlier. Yeah. It's not regulated by the FCC, so yeah. So after the shooting, and everybody's heard this, you know, Blaine 
yells, you stupid motherfucker. Yeah. You stupid motherfucker. That offended a lot of people. And again, I get it. But when you talk to the experts, they say, that's normal. Normal, Poli- normal no- why? For, normal no- how? Normal, and they say, you see it in police officers and in military. That you shoot somebody, you don't want to shoot them, and you're like, God damn it, why'd you make me do this? And you might not use those exact words. In fact, one of my experts said, said, John, I would be disturbed if he didn't say anything. That would be a little weird. If why? He, why? If he sh- you shoot somebody, you've just killed and you have somebody. No reaction. And you have no reaction. Yeah. If he said, oh, well, okay, uh, let's get some crime scene tape up and let's get some witnesses. If you're not showing rage and anger and screaming and cursing, I think that's a little, that's a little bizarre. The cursing is normal. Any expert will tell you that. Well, you know, if you look at the way that this thing was done from the federal government standpoint and how they went through it and all the experts and, and the report is, yeah, I mean, it's labor intensive and you go through it and they they found they did not find enough evidence because they would have charged him or at least pursued charges against him from the federal government level. And it was a civil rights division. They did not do that. So here we are left with the aftermath of everything that's gone on here in Baton Rouge. And. It, there is still another chapter to be played out over the next, what, six months yeah. or whatever, you know, four, five, six months. And in that time, what are you doing? What, what's the preparation? Uh, because the last time we saw something like this was when Chief Dwayne White was before the Civil Service Board when, when Mayor Holden tried to terminate him. And that's a whole thing we don't have to you know, right. re- relive. But in the next few months, what are you doing? What's going on? So I don't want to give away my playbook here. Uh, I don't want to tell you all my trial strategies, okay. but I'll, I will be calling multiple witnesses. So the way it works is the burden of proof is on the Baton Rouge Police Department. If you consider this like a trial, they go first. They put on their evidence, uh, and they take the position that the chief acted in, in the legal words are f- for cause and in good faith. And they're going to say, this is why I fired him. I did it for cause, I had good cause, good reason, and I was in good faith when I did it. And I'll be able to cross-examine the chief and any witnesses he calls, I can cross-examine. So you're going to be able to cross-examine Chief Paul. And him and any of his witnesses. Then they more or less rest their case. And the board says, Mr. McClellan, do you have any evidence? And I'm going to call, like I said, probably five witnesses maybe. And uh, I really don't want to disclose those right no, now. No, no, no. I, I but, understand. I, I, um, I don't want to be a part of the process in, right. in that regard. So right. that's what's going to be going on between now and October. Right. And obviously the outcome you're hoping for is for the reinstatement. And you spoke to right. this a moment ago about whether Officer Salamone will decide to maintain you know, employment or just resign and, and, right. and move on down the road. Right. Of all of the items that have been discussed in the last couple of years, nearly couple of years. From your perspective, I'm sure you're going to say that there are inaccuracies. There are some things that are out there that are just untrue or, or unchallenged uh, things that have been put out as fact. What are the top ones in your mind? Things that are out there that I know are absolutely wrong. Yeah. Well, if we start with the extreme, people who think Elton Sterling didn't have a gun, I think that's very few people. But at one point, there were several people say, oh, well, it could have been a cell phone or something like that. So... He absolutely had a gun. Well, there was indeed a gun. I mean, it was yeah, in the video. No uh, that, that There's no question about that. Once all the video was out there, it took away the whether or not there was one, because it's the truth. There was a gun. Um, the other thing that 
it's I'm glad it's finally out there is his toxicology report. I was very disappointed that the federal government didn't comment on that. They knew about it. Why didn't they bring that out? Um, it finally came out that the multiple drugs that he was on. So um, that was not out for a while. I'm glad that's out because I think that plays a big part of this. Um, I'm trying to think other things that are that I think are just blatantly wrong or misunderstood by the public. I mean, the, the misunderstanding, I get a lot of the cursing at him after he shot him. I think I've addressed mm-hmm. that. Um, the rest of it's just kind of on the video, I guess, and it's right. subject to interpretation. It's not that it's black and white wrong or right. It's like, well, it's subject to interpretation. Do you believe, and we talked about this earlier, and I don't know that I was able to really button down the point. Do you believe that the IA video released recently will have an impact? Because these are human beings. Right. Will have an impact on the members of the Civil Service Board. They're not going to see it. That's not an issue. Well, it's been all over. It's been on the news. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're right. Have they seen it on the news? Yeah. I can't stop that from happening. That will not be introduced into evidence at the hearing. Or but it's it, out there. Um, yeah. I mean, so you're saying how can you unring a bell, right? So the members of the Civil Service Board have probably seen that. You know, I'm not sure there's anything I can do about it. It's, it's frustrating because you bring up a good point. If this were a jury trial, we would be able to voir dire the jury, ask them questions, and if they said, yeah, I saw that video, then I could ask the jury, well, is that going to, will that affect your decision today? We don't get to do that. See, here was my question about that and kind of the nerdy way I, I look at some of this is on both sides. Okay, if you are going into this with a predisposition to judge this based upon the merits of what you are looking at and you saw that, how do you keep that from tainting what you think one way or the other. If, you, if, you, if you're going in sitting on the civil service board and you believe what the chief did was justified, you are not supposed to look That's at right. that as an extra ounce of, of justification one way or the other. If you believe the chief was in error in his decision and then you see that, does it make you believe that, A, this was a, a vindictive way to further bury this guy, or do you look at that and go, you know, well, maybe the chief is right. See, that, that, so when that comes out, I, I don't know how human beings, and, and granted, I've never been in that position sitting on the civil service board. I don't know how human beings uh, unsee right. something like that and then how it plays out. That's a great question, and I don't know the answer to it. You're right. In fact, what I found a little strange was, I can't remember which board member it was, but he was interviewed in the paper, and uh, one or two of them was interviewed in the paper what they thought about this case. <laughs> wow, you know, um, how does that, problem? How does that impact from your perspective what you do going into this? See, I didn't see that. Yeah. I'm very selective these days about yeah. what news I consume, and and I didn't, so I didn't see yeah. that. And so, having said that, and I don't know if you can even talk about it, but how does that impact you and in your job? Well, my plan is to go into this hearing and put on my case, and uh, I don't plan on going into it, quite honestly. Um, Because you can't really, because it's not not germane to what you were there to talk about, correct? It's not a part of what we're there to talk about. But it's the elephant in the room. Yeah, you know, so it raises an interesting issue is, uh, like we said, how can you, we can't unring the bell, they've seen it. 
You know, I just don't know the answer to that question. That's going to be tough. Because I'll be honest be with you, I have heard both perspectives in this. Right. It, I'm, as I'm sure you have, you you alluded to friends of yours and people that that think that this is departmental level, that maybe suspension or something of that level, you, all the way to people who say he should be fired. I've heard right. I've heard both from people, and you know what? Uh, from my perspective, it's what you expect that there are people who are going to disagree on this. Right. But I said on television that night and and on the the Tuesday the day after the AG spoke is that the most important thing for me and major decisions is always context. This is me speaking for me. Right. And what often happens in media, regardless of what side of this you're on, without a complete view of context, you can sometimes make a decision that doesn't, it's not, it, it doesn't jive with accuracy. So. And so the context of this is I still think a lot of it is lost on people. And again, there are people who support this decision and say, yeah, he should be gone. He's a hothead. He shouldn't be a police officer. And then there are those who are saying, you don't know what it's like to be on the streets and do right. this job and the realities we face and the tactics we have to use to hopefully not end up shooting someone right. while at the same time going home. Right. And to you talking about context. I, I try and give an example in the in the. In a courtroom, yeah. if a guy's on trial for, say, um, bank robbery, and he's got a prior felony conviction, the jury will not know about that prior felony conviction unless he takes a stand. But if he doesn't take the stand, they will not know about that. And the reason for that rule of evidence is you want the jury to decide his guilt or innocent on this, on the evidence mm -hmm. in this case, and you don't want them to know about that prior because you, the fear is you go, oh, well, this guy's already been in trouble, so he probably did this too. And that's not the way the rules of evidence work. So in this situation, as you've pointed out, I think it's fair to assume that these board members probably saw the video. And, uh, you know, are they going to take that into consideration in rendering their decisions? I can only hope they won't, you know. We're going to put on our case, and that's not going to come up. But is it buried in the back of their mind? Could be. And then once the decision is made one way or the other, is there any recourse for either side after the fact, or is that done? You can go to state court. You can then oh, file. Wow. Yeah, you can uh, either the losing side can file a petition in the 19th Judicial District Court and and uh, appeal. It's basically an appeal, but it's not to the Court of Appeals, to the state district court and do it all over again. I know. Is that going to be a reality if he if it, this goes against you? I don't know. I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. I don't know. That's one step at a time. Well, listen, I think, you know, being able to talk with you in 50 minutes here in long form and, and going through everything so people can hear and make up their own minds one way or the other. Is there anything that was left out, anything that we did not cover that you would like to clarify more? No, I just I, I, I acknowledge is a very difficult case. Uh, and and I, I get I get the people who uh, who think he should be terminated i understand it but i just keep going back to uh what the experts say right you gotta go with what the experts say you know um i gave my analogy of the backpacker there's sure. a million there's a million analogies right. you know um you can look at the world of medical malpractice you know i know somebody that real quick went in for a routine colonoscopy and the doctor perforated her colon she had to have emergency surgery and everyone's thinking, oh, it's a slam dunk malpractice case. That's not medical malpractice. It is not. In fact, I not. have a story similar to that okay. that worse that's worse and where the patient died. It wow. was a relative. And yeah. and it was it was it was not that. And it's 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 a crazy to believe, but I 
based upon that experience, yep. I agree with you in going through it. It was. And so to the yeah. layperson, they'd say, yeah. how could that not be malpractice? Yeah. You perforated yeah. her colon. That's not malpractice. The experts will tell you that's not malpractice. Same thing in here. Most people look at this and say, oh, that's really wrong. The expert will tell you, no, it's not. Well, it's, it's, it's been something, and so often the, the discussion over this has been either less than productive or overly emotional on it, and I don't think people often get a chance to gain understanding when the principals in, in anything are doing it that way. Right. And so, you know, just having you in here and talking through that, and like I said, people can make up their own mind, but it's, it's something, and to know that we've got five or six more months yeah. of this, and possibly even <laughs> longer, is something. But I think we can both agree on this one thing, is that this is a town made up of really good people, yep. and a lot of cities in similar circumstances had fires and riots and all these things, and the worst day that follows this, this incident was brought on by somebody who wasn't even from here. That's right. That's right. And so, so I just think we should it, give ourselves a little more credit. It does speak very highly uh, and speak well about the people of Baton Rouge. I, I really believe that. Yeah. Well, John, I appreciate you coming in, man, and, and sitting with me for this nearly an hour. No problem. Anytime. All right. We'll come back and wrap up and then talk a little bit more about this Sunday's event in Perkins Row. Stay right where you are. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Highlighting businesses that help Baton Rouge thrive. It's Hearts of BR, presented by Manners of the Heart. This week, Yoga Lotties. I am April Hill. My business is Yoga Lotties to Sell. Baton Rouge means everything to me. This is my hometown. I'm raising my family here. It's a wonderful place. We love football, the people, good food, and I'm really proud of things that we offer now that we didn't just five or ten years ago. Manners of the Heart is a important and necessary organization to teach our young people how to behave and what's important and how to be kind to each other. And it is so necessary in our time that we're living in. What a blessing it is to our schools. I am April Hill and I have a heart for Baton Rouge. This has been Hearts of BR. Learn more at mannersoftheheart.org. Play. Sir. Well, we finally made it this coming weekend. The fifth annual Smoke 'em If You Got 'em fundraiser taking place at Ben 77 Bistro and Perkins Row, benefiting the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. It is our pleasure to invite people in. To this amazing event, tickets are $100. You can get them at the door for the event, or you can get them online at chriskylefrogfoundation.org under the events page. Just hit that tab, and you'll see some events pop up, and one of the ones that will pop up is the 2018 Smoke'em If You Got'em. Uh, this has been 
Such a great buildup. Every year, a buddy of mine, Steve Atkins, we talk about the buildup to smoke em. Smoke em season, which kind of starts early April. We start really ramping up to this event. And our title sponsor this year, as you know, is Mockler Beverage. Tim Mockler and his team have been fantastic. Victoria, everyone there. Uh, and, you know, with having Mockler Beverage as the title sponsor, you got to have a beer station. And so there will be a beer station at the event we are going to have a grill station done by Insurance Procurement Services, Brian Bennett. Last year, that thing was such a hit. Everybody was talking about it. Brian is going to be back there with his team again. They're going to be setting up early, and it's going to smell fantastic in Perkins Row. That's even before we get to the premium cigars and everything. Geico Insurance, they're going to have their grill station there. Looking, oh, excuse me, their grill station, their dessert station there this year, and they're going to have all kinds of treats for you to go with everything that you, everything else that you can enjoy at the event. The great staff at Ben Seventy Seven Bistro will be there, taking care of all of you. There will be two open bars inside of this place now. The sidebar, the formerly what was formerly known as sidebar, will be open, and then inside of Ben, where all of the auction items will be, that bar will be open as well. Don Juan Cigar Bar, Don Juan Cigar Company, Justine Stewart, and everything she's done since day one to take care of us and to make certain that we've got the finest and premium cigars. And Christian Neroa is allowing us to feature his top shelf cigar this year again the Euroa, and it's going to have a smoke them if you got them banned on it so this will be kind of a collector's thing for you if you got a humidor you want one of these or a couple of these to put into your humidor in fact you'll have a chance to win a box of these in the live auction in referencing the live auction this year we've got a condo in orange beach that will be in selection for the live auction in addition, Bobby D'Angelo has brought here an American flag that's got the, the Marine Corps emblem on it. This thing is really gorgeous. We'll have it out there. It's in my office right now. I'll have it out there for the event. If you are a Saints fan, you'll have a chance to participate in the live auction and possibly go home with a replica of the Saints Super Bowl ring. The same is true for LSU, the last football championship ring. You'll have a chance to win that in the live auction as well. In addition to a lot of NFL and NBA Hall of Fame paraphernalia, Magic Johnson stuff, right? Uh, Terry Bradshaw stuff, Drew Brees stuff there for you. If you're a Sinatra fan, there'll be some Sinatra items there for you to bid on, Rat Pack items for you to bid on in the event it's always a great time for people who have been to the event. You know how much fun Smoke'em is. And whether you are a cigar enthusiast or not, it's just a really, really good time on a Sunday evening. So I'm looking forward to having you there. If you haven't marked it down, you need to be there for the event. If you're listening to this after Sunday, May 20th, you likely missed a hell of a good time. But don't worry about it. Smoke'em 6 is coming. It's on the way. But as for this year's event, again, I would like to offer special thanks to Mockler Beverage for being our title sponsor this year. That's been really, really a joy to work with them. They've been the easiest to work with. And listen, if you're listening to this before the show as well, you won't be able to miss where Smoke'em is going to be because Mockler is going to have one of their semis with the trailer parked out in front of the courtyard. That's going to be nice. 
I uh, also want to thank Ben77, Brian Dykes, and his team over there. Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution. My buddy John Conroy, Brian Bennett at Insurance Procurement Services, Justine Stewart, and the folks at Don Juan for always having my back, always being there to support us as we do things to support the community. Guarantee Media, Gordy Rush, his team there who have really done a great job helping us get the word out about this event and making certain that you know the when, where, and why about it. Uh, who am I leaving out? Open Eyes, Safety Training and Consulting, Jeff and Kelly LaDuff, who have been, uh, Jeff's I think been to every event, and last year they were one of the sponsors and are going to be back there this year helping us out. I just can't say enough about him. Geico Insurance, they came aboard last year. This year they're back, and they're doing the dessert station this year, and I, I'm really appreciative of that. And um, And listen, you know, it's kind of hard to put this event on without people on the inside helping you out. So I want to thank Carla and Sash and Kelly and James and Dwan and everybody who has helped this thing become what it is. We're looking forward to seeing you guys out at the event on Sunday. Obviously, Clay Young Enterprises doing this. Man, I this was just an idea I had five and a half years ago that I wanted to do, and it's become this thing, and I'm looking forward to seeing it become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I hope to see you there. Hope to see you there on Sunday at Ben 77. And, of course, the people with the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, Taya Kyle, who is really a delightful lady. Glad to do this event for them one more time. And it's been a joy to work with them. Next year, we will be doing, uh, we'll featuring another organization. And I'm looking forward to that as well. So, with that, hopefully you've enjoyed our conversation with uh, John McClendon. Very interesting information in that and his take on what went on and insight into what's happening with Officer Salamone was just something else. And so I think there will be more conversations about that in the future. So again, folks, thank you for listening to episode 162 of The Clay Young Show. We will catch you next week as our guest in studio will be none other than Richard Condon. Yep, Richard Condon's coming back to the podcast 225 Studio, and you'll hear our discussion with him next week. Have a great one, and thanks again to everyone who helped make Smoke 'em as you got him another success. I know it's going to be great this Sunday, and we look forward to seeing you there, and it's going to be a great time, folks. Have a great one. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.